0: Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the School of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett. Here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, you're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, and this is your host, Eric Schlein. And we have uh, Peter McCormack on today. Peter, welcome to the show.
1: Hey man, thanks for having me on, dude. Absolutely. No, you have an accent. Where Where are you from? So I live in a small town called Bedford, which is about forty minutes north of London on the train. Um, okay. Not far from Cambridge, actually. Yeah, it's. Uh, I spend. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time in America though before all this happened. I've been to. Uh, I've been to Washington a few times. Okay.
0: Great. Cool. How do you like America compared to where you're at?
1: Love the country. Hate the politics, man. Love the country. I hear um, been to so many different parts, which are great. Wyoming. I like California. Uh, I like Portland. When I went to Portland, I thought that was great. I love New York. Every Pretty much everywhere I go, I love. I love the people. It's, it's so I funny. I, I,
0: it's very politics. rare to hear someone say, you know, I love Wyoming and California in the same sentence.
1: Well, for different things. Of I course. No, so I get I'm, the same, life, right, I'm the same way. I'm
0: the same way. I hear you.
1: Yeah, it's just a vibe, but I also love the Cowboys up in Wyoming.
0: Nice, nice.
1: Now, what is your background?
0: You know, I know you have a pretty successful podcast yourself. Is podcasting your full-time gig or what do you do?
1: It's my full-time gig now, but it's not always been that way. My background is advertising. I did uh, close to 20 years in the advertising industry on the digital side, on the web, email, social. I pretty much worked in that from not long after it started being commercialized. And yeah, did 20 years in that, burned out in the uh, role of a consultant. So took some time off and then stumbled into this, this world of podcasting. How did you get into podcasting? How did that start for you? Well, so I, it's like just a weird chain of events, but I ended up in Italy at a vegan yoga retreat run by this guy called Rich Roll, who has a very successful podcast. He's like an ultra athlete who does like ultra uh, how, like how do you spell and name? How, how do you spell his name? So Rich, R-I-C-H, and then Roll, R-O-L-L. Okay. Um, And he's you know very successful podcast. He does very well. And I was at his event and just hanging out with him. And he said, if you're ever in LA, let let me know. And I was. I used to spend a lot of time there because one of my friends is there. And it was around 2017, like early 2017, I was kind of getting into this Bitcoin thing. And I was hanging out around LA. And I just met up with him. I said, you know, I think I'm going to do a podcast, Rich. Like, how do you do it? And he was like, well, dude, you need to check out this course by this guy, Pat Flynn, and then you need to buy this equipment. So I went on Amazon and bought the equipment for next day delivery. And
0: Did you uh, do the course? the course?
1: Did you do the Pat Flynn course? I did. Well, yeah, I did like the free course or the basics and okay. up and then phoned up a friend. He said he'll do an interview. And here I am. Uh, what's it? Just over three years later and probably 350 interviews later. Uh, uh-huh. It's gone so quick. Look, was that course useful? Would you recommend it to new podcasters? I think it's useful for the technical side, just the basics of setting up, of okay, creating your feed and getting your feed set up with iTunes and Got it. all those kind of things. In terms of being a podcaster, I don't know how helpful that was. I think in terms of being a podcaster, you can just get out there and do it, dude. I mean, how many have you done now? How many shows? Hundred and about one hundred and thirty. Have you gone back and listened to like the first two or three? They're terrible. Yeah, they suck. Right? Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> especially the that first you, episode. Oh, dude, it sucks. I, I, can't, I mean, I don't like listening to mine anyway, but going back to those first ones, they suck. And yeah. it's like anything. You've just got to keep doing it and keep doing it. And one of the things I found is good to just listen to other people's podcasts and see what yeah. they do and get ideas for them and, and work on your craft. But, but I think it's worth it for the technical side for sure. Cool. You do mostly talking about Bitcoin and crypto, right? Yes and no. It's, okay. I've got two podcasts. So the main one I mainly talk about Bitcoin. I don't say really crypto
0: because I'm not
1: interested in any of the other cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin. Apart from like maybe, I've got a little bit of interest in something called Monero, but for the sake of your listeners, and it's an important point, point, you should ask me why at some point, but I'm entirely focused on Bitcoin. I do have another podcast all about like more like deeper topics. Uh, I did a Ghislaine Maxwell investigation. Did someone oh, see cool. Mnuchin. But I mean, I think for the sake of this one, we're going to focus on the Bitcoin thing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll explain, well, rather than you ask, I'll explain it. This will be important to your listeners because if your listeners are people who are investors, we're mm-hmm. hearing a lot about Bitcoin at the moment. And certainly if they're not invested, they'll be considering and thinking, you know, should I get involved? Blah, blah, blah. And if they do, they might stumble across the cryptocurrency industry and, automatically think all of these cryptocurrencies are worth investing in when actually I actually don't believe a single one of them is worth investing in, certainly over the long term, outside of Bitcoin. And we can get into why. Some of them look if you're a trader, you know how to trade and recharge, perhaps you might want to do it in the short term, but it's penny stocks. It's all kind of it's all nonsense. I am the only cryptocurrency I think that has any long term value with Bitcoin and it's the only one I'm interested in. Well why don't we just jump into it? Why why only Bitcoin? Yeah. Well, let's talk about why Bitcoin is so important. What are the important things, like features of Bitcoin? Why has it been so successful? I think that's a starting point. So before Bitcoin, there was a group of people who have been trying to solve the idea of non-government controlled money, let's say. And there were a number of different attempts to do this. David Chalm did one called DigiCash, which was quite successful, but that failed because it was centralized. But well, there were lots what, of what was his people. name? Who did DigiCash? David Chaum, C-H-A-U-M. And he created DigiCash, but it failed ultimately because it was centralized. Okay. The great thing about whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is, the person, people who created Bitcoin, is they fit the pieces of the jigsaw together to create a fully non-government controlled form of money. What you actually have with Bitcoin is something that's quite unique in that it's in its decentralization. So for anyone listening, what decentralization means is in the context of Bitcoin is anybody at all who holds Bitcoin or has an interest in Bitcoin can download what is called a node. And with that, they can download the blockchain, the entire Bitcoin blockchain. And on that blockchain, it has every transaction that's ever existed. And the reason that's important is if you've got a copy of the blockchain and I have and I send you some Bitcoin, your blockchain will validate that transaction. So we will, you will know you've got that real Bitcoin from me. And the great thing about that is that these computers that are running uh, the Bitcoin software all around the world mean it's decentralized. It means that the governments can't switch it off. So for example, well, they can't destroy it. So that's, that's a better way of saying it. So when China kind of banned Bitcoin, okay, people maybe stop running those nodes, but all across the world, these other nodes continue running. And that gives you a couple of really important features about Bitcoin. So the first one, is that it's censorship resistant, which is really important, which means if I want to send you money, I send it to you and no one can stop me. Um, if you want to sp- sponsor WikiLeaks and you want to help them with their work, when Visa and MasterCard refuse to process their payments, you could do that. It also means it's seizure resistant. So in Greece, when the government took a haircut of bank savings of people, I think it's was over $100,000, it was them or Cyprus, mm-hmm. and people lost money because the failure of government you can't seize Bitcoin because you hold the private keys. First thing in the world, really, where you have true property rights and it's protected by okay. cryptography. So Bitcoin's really important because of that. Quick question for you on the yeah.
0: seizure-resistant aspect, right? There's news articles that you, you'll see saying, you know, the Fed sees, you know, X amount of Bitcoin from, you know, Silk Road or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So would that be an example of a seizure? or
1: When I say seizure-resistant, if you own the private keys, Nobody can take that from you. If you've got gold in your house, they can come in and take it. Right. Got it. But they have to have the private keys. They The private keys cryptographically protect your Bitcoin. What happened with the Silk Road is they got access to the wallets. So they seized it. So there's been times when they've got access to wallets you know, and they've managed to seize the Bitcoin that exists within those and, and auction them off. But they have to get access to the wallets. This is what's really important about Bitcoin it's nobody controls it completely decentralized it can't be switched off it's got all these unique features and that's really cool and a lot of it works on this thing called the blockchain that's a very important part of the technology but what's happened is this industry's built up this cryptocurrency industry where people have tried to create other projects uh, using blockchains and to sell them off as having certain types of features that might make it better than bitcoin and there's lots of different types you know, you can have altcoins, you can have something like Bitcoin Cash, which says you can have faster and cheaper payments. But economically, that's been proved to be a red herring. You mm. have something like Ethereum that wants to be a world computer. But the problem with Ethereum, it has so much data being processed every day that these are on the blockchain, it has issues with scaling. So I think this is all nonsense. So I focus entirely on Bitcoin, which I personally believe over the next 10, 20, 30 years, whatever the time frame it will become the most dominant form of money. And will I mean, already is a global currency, but will be the primary global currency that people use. And that sounds hyperbolic, right? So you can ask me about it. When I first got into Bitcoin, I heard people say these things. I was like, yeah, come on. But I'm there now.
0: And do you think there'd be other competing currencies with Bitcoin in the future? Do you think that would just be it?
1: No, I mean, I think you're going to have these other Maybe stupid altcoins, but you will have sovereign currencies competing for a t- certain time, mm-hmm. and you may have CBDCs, these central bank digital currencies. But ultimately, the best form of money wins. Right now, like I used to invest in Bitcoin. Now I de-risk pounds, and what I mean by that is I'm only nervous with Bitcoin in very short time frames. I'm very confident with Bitcoin very long time frames, you know, three, four years, four year cycles. I'm super confident. But it's a volatile currency, mm-hmm. so in terms of running my business, I only ever keep in the bank what I need for the next six weeks' cash flow. Everything else goes into Bitcoin, because that's the money I'm not spending. They're my profits, and I have the belief that's a better form of money, a better place to to hold my money, and that's proved as a correct thesis for me over the last year. I mean, just as an example, I had uh, something like $170,000 in profit, let's mm-hmm. say, for my company over the last year, but I kept putting that into Bitcoin. At the end of each month, the, the balance sheet now holds, holds cost a half close to half a million dollars. It's, it's in Bitcoin, but it holds that, and that's because I choose to hold Bitcoin instead of dollars or pounds.
0: Now, one of the features of a say good quality currency would be stability, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you think going in the future, the volatility of Bitcoin will come down as it becomes more and more accepted? Because, I mean. Right. If you had a currency going up and down by 50% swings, that would be not a very viable form of currency long term.
1: Yeah. So it's it's interesting. It's something that I've always kind of like tried to get my head around is that how do you get over the volatility and blah, blah, blah. But somebody explained it to me. It said for Bitcoin to become dominant global currency, it needs a market cap in the trillions. I mean, gold is 10 trillion. And he said, think about you can't go from zero to 10 trillion in two decades without volatility it doesn't right. just go up in a straight line you know it goes up and then people think god i've made a lot of money here and they sell some and then it goes down but over time the volatility is decreasing right now bitcoin isn't a medium of exchange i mean it's for some people they're using it but it isn't a unit of account therefore it makes it difficult as a medium of exchange but it's certainly a store of value and it's certainly collectible but my view is is that over the next you know we're seeing these transitions So I use it for a medium exchange in that my sponsors, I encourage them to pay me in Bitcoin. I would rather have Bitcoin. Um, Will I use it to buy a cup of coffee? Not for a long time. But could I in 20 years or 10 years? Perhaps. Interesting.
0: Now say more about the blockchain and sort of what you see for the future of that technology. Because my understanding is there's other use cases
1: other than just currency. I mean, within the Bitcoin blockchain, there's a couple of use cases. You can, it's good for timestamps timestamping and it is good for identity mm-hmm. you know, wrapping your identity to the Bitcoin blockchain. But outside of that, again, it goes back to that point of these other altcoins. I have no interest in what people are using blockchains for the blockchain was designed for use in Bitcoin and it works perfectly perfectly well. It's now been almost used as a marketing term to sell. Right. Cause I hear about it. Countries. You know, the
0: future of banking is going to be on the blockchain. The future of securities trading is going to be on the blockchain.
1: No, it's just not. It just isn't needed. It's Bitcoin, not blockchain. That's what you need to remember. If somebody uses an opportunity and they're they're selling the marketing of it. But blockchains are are very... Let me explain what a blockchain does. And then I'll tell you how inefficient it is. Okay, perfect. So a blockchain is literally... The best way to think of it is... Obviously, it's a chain of blocks. But think about it as floors in a building, right? And every 10 minutes a block closes... And that sits on top of the next block but imagine you're building a building each time it's a new floor and what the blockchain does is every time every time a new block is created that create keeps all the transactions that were collected up in those last 10 minutes by the miners into that block and it cryptographically protects that and what happens is as more blocks are built on top the transactions below them are even more secure now most places tend to wait for six confirmations to confirm a payment. But what that means is six blocks have been built on top. Okay. So that's a really important way of of stacking. uh, So the best way to think about it is people may want to go and create fake transactions, but if they want to go and create fake transactions, they have to create it in the previous blocks while new blocks are being built on top of it. So they have to rewrite those blocks. So just imagine you've built this floor in a building. You're like, crap, we got something wrong. we got the bathroom wrong. need to change the bathroom. That's kind of that's kind of easy yeah or we need to change the roof whatever imagine doing that now you've got six floors on top you say we need to go and take that floor out and rebuild it. you have to take them all out to do that and that's what a blockchain is it's slow it's cumbersome like it says every 10 minutes the bitcoin uh, to create a new block but all it does is keep a bunch of very basic data on transactions using that for other, fa- you know, wanting to do fast transactions or lots of other things with big amounts of data just means lots of data builds up. And I'll show you where this becomes really important. So the Bitcoin blockchain has been running for 12 years, currently holds 320 gigabytes of data. So you can run a node on your computer, probably, on your laptop. Mm-hmm. I know I can do it on mine because mine's 512. The Ethereum blockchain, which has been running less than half the time, has, has four terabytes of data. Okay. So if you want to run a node, you either have to have some impressive hardware setup, or you probably have to use a service like Infura with Amazon. The point being is you, me, someone in Santiago, Chile, someone in Nepal, and anywhere in the world who can get a computer with 512 gigabytes and an internet connection can run a node. You can run a node with a Raspberry Pi. What is the advantage of running a node? Everybody running and is running a node is keeping the system decentralized and supporting the network. So we want tens of thousands of those. But secondly, you are validating the transaction. Yeah, rather than trusting I sent you the money or trusting someone else's node, when it comes in, Mm -hmm. you know that Bitcoin is yours. You know, 100% it's a valid transaction because your node runs the consensus rules and it will check that those transactions are valid. Is that gonna slow down your computer by doing that? I mean, if you were gonna run a node, my suggestion is you get a Raspberry Pi or a separate laptop and you do it on that, okay. uh, rather than run it on your main computer. But a lot of people run nodes. This is the point, this is what keeps it decentralized. So you look at something like Ethereum, honestly, I don't know how many full nodes there are, fully validating nodes. I'd be surprised if there's more than 10, there mm-hmm. maybe are, but that's not particularly decentralized. And this is the idea of this technology. The reason you have a blockchain is keep these things decentralized. Right. Now,
0: pardon my ignorance on this question, but is there any kind of liability for running your own node? Okay. Interesting. None at all. Okay. Now, what about Bitcoin mining? Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin mining is, is the way the network is secured. So what happens is Satoshi Nakamoto, when they created Bitcoin, he wanted to have a way of creating security in the network and building the blocks. And the way the blockchain works is, is that all the miners, I did this with my son yesterday, it's easy with a piece of paper, but all the Mm -hmm. miners are these machines. And all they're doing is they're running uh, a script to try and answer a puzzle. And that puzzle should take about 10 minutes. And the first one to solve it ends up creating that new uh, block, which is the new tier on the floor and they fill it with all the the transactions. And then everyone starts competing to to create the next one. Okay. That's called proof of work. They have to spend costs on electricity to mine the Bitcoin. But the reason that's really important is because as all these miners are competing and building these blocks, they all follow the longest chain. So if you want to hack the Bitcoin network, basically, and create a new block and create new blocks on top, you have to control 51% of the mining capacity power. Otherwise, you won't be able to outcompete the blocks. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason that's really, really super important is that protects the integrity of the system, keeps all the transactions uh, honest. It, It keeps all the miners honest. The game theory isn't there for any of them to lie and create fake transactions. The absolute incentive is then to be honest. They also, each miner gets paid every block. So every time they solve a block, they get 6.25 Bitcoin plus whatever the transaction fees are. So they're incentivized. So six point whatever in a block, let's say six, that's about two, it's about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars now. Yeah. Plus the transaction fees, whatever that is, to solve a block. Pretty good. But there are so many computers out there competing to solve it. It yeah. usually trends towards break-even.
0: Okay. If you were to run a Bitcoin mining machine, is it unlikely it would ever solve a block now?
1: Yes. So you would join a pool. So you would contribute the hash power of your miner to a pool of miners. are all competing. And when a block gets solved, you share you share the rewards. But it's very hard to make money mining. You know, it's very competitive. It does well in countries with uh, low cost energy. Like, like Russia. Venezuela or Apparently, something, Russia's right? Russia's moving into this space now okay. with almost free energy. Huh. Okay. Interesting.
0: What about, so if someone wants to get started and wants to start putting some of their cash reserves into Bitcoin, what's, what's the easiest uh, way to do that?
1: Okay. It's a good question, but I would say you have to go a step back. Okay. You have to have an investment strategy. Okay. Bitcoin is, can be a very punishing investment. If you get it wrong,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you could have gone in today at 42,000 and now it's dropped as low as thirty nine thousand six hundred that's a five percent swing in a day I did a ten percent swing yesterday mm. it is volatile it can be punishing you can get nervous you can end up using leverage and get wrecked you, you know blow up an account what i've learned of, it's funny i did a tweet thread on this today you should go and check it out but okay. what i've learned is you have to have a long term commitment to bitcoin at least five years yeah you could get in time right and get lucky but strictly speaking you should have a long-term time horizon minus Mine's 10 years i don't intend to sell any for 10 years Okay. All I'm going to do in those 10 years is every single month, I'm going to make sure I end the month with more Bitcoin than I started the previous month. Now, the important thing with Bitcoin, is only going to ever be 21 million coins. So it has a limited supply. So my view is the percent of that 21 million you own is your score. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to play that game as best possible to get a higher score possible. Because as more people move into Bitcoin, very basic supply and demand 101, say that the price will go up. Therefore, your investment will scale with that. So I would say you've got to have a, like a long time horizon. You've got, you've got to be patient. And then you've just got to decide how you're going to uh, stack your Bitcoin. Are you going to do Are you going to do a lump at the start? Are you can do a regular amount each month. A lot of people like to dollar cost average, you know, $100,000 a month, $500 a month, whatever, over that time horizon. So you can buy fractions but, of Bitcoins. You get, yeah, you could yeah, get, God, yeah. Otherwise, what a disaster. Right, right yeah. <laughs> yeah, it goes up to... It goes up to eight decimal place, places. So the decimal is called a sat. There's 100 million sats to a Bitcoin. Okay. Now, who do you think uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is? Wow. So we within the community and other Bitcoiners have kind of come to a kind of collective agreement that even if we knew, we wouldn't say, because that person has chosen to become yeah anonymous. And actually what they've done is created something of beauty, something that's pretty cool, and there's no benefit to anyone knowing what it is. It's only negatives. Right. So, Do you think uh, it's an individual or, or a group, if you had a guess? I think it's an individual.
0: Yeah. Now, there's a whole thing, right, where that individual or whoever it is, or group, whoever it is, um, hasn't touched any of their Bitcoins, right, in their wallet. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a way to see that. So what do you think the reason for that is?
1: Two main reasons, I think. Either they're dead. Mm-hmm. Well, three, actually. Either they're dead. Either they burned the keys because they didn't want it. Or they've just made a decision even though they've burned the keys not to want it. My expectation is I don't think this person's money or fame driven. If it was me, I'd be like, yeah, I made it. Here I am. I'm a fucking billionaire. Yeah, because what is that wallet
0: worth today? Billions. Right, wouldn't they, be the, wouldn't they be the wealthiest person in the world or close to it at
1: this point? It's, I think I think the price came out the other day. If it, but Bitcoin hit $547,000 a coin, they become the richest in the world. They most likely, okay. that wallet will become the, the biggest honeypot in the world. Good for a hacker who feels like they can go at it. But I think this person isn't driven by fame and isn't driven by fortune. They're driven by trying to improve money. Yeah. Trying to give people a good form of money. And they've achieved it. And I don't think they would want to break that. So interesting.
0: Is yeah. there anything else? I'm as dumb as they come when it comes to to Bitcoin, right? I'm a total moron around crypto and. Bitcoin. Have you bought any? I have not. My brother has a Bitcoin, but I've I have, I've have nothing.
1: But you have an investor podcast, so you're thinking about it. Of course, I've thought about it. Yeah, yeah. So what's what's stopping you?
0: That's a whole that's a whole other conversation. But what I want to ask you is. Are there any questions you feel like I should be asking you that I that I haven't yet that that would make for some interesting conversation?
1: Well, I think what what would make it interesting is that I think there's people in your position mm-hmm. who like right now are looking at it and going, "I'm too late. It's too expensive." Mm-hmm. So I'm that's why I was asking maybe why haven't you taken the plunge?
0: Personally, I, so I, I tend not to talk a lot about my personal investment oh, strategy okay. on here, but you know, generally for myself and also for my investors. I'm looking at buying assets where there's really not a lot of downside whatsoever. And actually, even in a bad scenario, you can still make money. So
1: Bitcoin okay. would be low something
0: risk. very, very low risk. Yeah. So, you know, is there a scenario? Now, now look, you can push back on me. Do you think there's mm. a scenario where you can lose where in 10 years from now, Bitcoin is lower than, than today? What, what would break the Bitcoin thesis?
1: I think the only scenario where it's lower today is it's dead in 10 and, years. And how would that happen? Because this is how I think it's an investor. I think, how
0: do you break, how do you destroy the thesis?
1: Yeah, I don't think you get the hash power to destroy it because it's just too expensive. I don't really think you can ban it. Mm-hmm. You can ban it in certain markets, but like if the US banned it, I'm sure someone will go, well, we'll have it. It's like Malta is very open because they want businesses to come there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't think you can ban it. I think you can regulate it to the point of it being not particularly useful, but even then in that scenario, no, I don't see a scenario, you know, what? I'm running through my head. that I don't see a certain scenario goes to zero and therefore I don't actually see a scenario where it doesn't exist, doesn't not exist in 10 years. So I don't see a scenario where it isn't worth more. So you know, I'm curious.
0: So like, let's say, let's say in a scenario, it's, you're not allowed to, you know, if you're a business, right, you're not allowed to use it in your business. There's heavy regulations around it. Um, you can't get a loan and there's, there's all this stuff, right? I wonder, do you think the price of Bitcoin today reflects the notion that there's a good possibility it becomes the world reserve currency? And then if it gets banned in the United States or mostly banned, would that then impact sort of the future perception? So sure it's still around, but now it's five dollars a Bitcoin.
1: I don't see five dollars Bitcoin. If it was, I'd buy everyone I could. Um I don't see that happening because you know, Bitcoin's been up. Bitcoin should have failed, right? It's been up against so much. Mm-hmm. So much hate, so much like baseless accusations about it. It's had a civil war, had the silk road, had wicked, it's had all this stuff that worked against it in some way or another. And yet here it is. Today it's floating around forty thousand dollars and it looks like it's going to go a lot higher. I think people want good money and they want hard money. I think people are fed up of what the government's done with their money. I also just think it's too it's gone too far now for the government to ban it you know, it has a regulatory moat it has people within the senate say in the u.s who are pro-bitcoin and um, the occ who, who's, is who's just,
0: pro-bitcoin in the, in the senate uh
1: senator lummis uh president uh, sorry senator elect lummis of wyoming um okay. warren davidson i think he is ohio oh interesting okay um, and there's another one um they're pushing back against you know, some of the stuff Minuchin has been doing so I, I just think we've gone too far now. I don't think there's an appetite to ban it. I think there's an appetite to regulate it, mm-hmm. monitor it, tax it eventually. But I don't think there's an appetite to ban it. So the $21 million itself is a very attractive thesis mm-hmm. for investors, a credible asset which has a strict limited value. Do you uh, think, uh, do you, do you think Bitcoin supply. would get taxed at some point? I think that they could make attempts. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be easy, though, because there will be plenty of people who've been very hot with their privacy uh, very good with it, hiding their bitcoin for government i also think of a lot of there's going to be a lot of people with a lot of bitcoin who're just going to go and move to tax free countries because they're, they're looking at their money and think, i'm sat on this why am i going to give 35 40% of this away to the government i'm going to go and live in malta or Cayman right. islands
0: now you mentioned the privacy aspect people can see your wallet though right because it's on some it's on a public blockchain so so explain that and how that ties into privacy if everyone can see
1: what you have yeah. So it's pseudo anonymous, meaning that it is the uh, anonymity fails at the point where someone can connect a transaction to you. So, for example, okay. if when you go to an exchange to buy Bitcoin, they want your identity, they want to know your passports. They, at that point, know who you are and they can track Bitcoin being moved to your wallet. Now, there are ways to hide that. It gets a bit complicated, mm-hmm. but you can use things such as coin joins, which is like a way of, it's, it's kind of a way of like, to make it easy for you to understand you can mix your coins and when they come out they can't track it to the wallet Mm. um there are people also working on other interesting technologies and trying to push privacy you know forward but it doesn't have privacy baked into it okay
0: so does that you know there's always the fear right and this is something you hear more in the mainstream media right the fear that One of the bad things about Bitcoin is that it's very easy to uh, make illegal transactions uh, with it, you know, or or launder money with it or, you know, something like that. Are you saying it's actually pretty easy for law enforcement to find people that are doing illegal things or, or is that not what you're saying?
1: If you are a criminal thinking you should launder money with Bitcoin, if I'm buying heroin lord. on the
0: Silk Road or something like that, is, is
1: it, I mean, that's I mean, that's slightly different because I don't care if you do that because I think freeware, I, 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 I,
0: I'm actually I'm, but, I'm right there with you. I'm I, for all legalizing drugs, but just say in a hypothetical scenario, what,
1: yes, people do use Bitcoin on the dark web. I would personally use Monero because it has on chain privacy, but people may use it. And if the government has the appetite to go after you and you haven't coin joined or mixed your coins. And they connect. So, for example, if you were using an exchange, and then you went and bought a whole big pile of heroin, mm-hmm. and the government, like could, the FBI or whoever it is, was tracking that, and they could track it back to your wallet, then they could get the identity. They could find out who, who you are. Right. But what you should be able to do is go and mix those coins and get away from that. But large scale, uh, say, fraud using the Bitcoin blockchain is actually it's a very stupid thing to do because you yeah. can track everything. So interesting. Um, so this kind of idea is used for fraud or money laundering is actually because that's the big
0: fear. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. It's actually much easier to use printed notes these days still.
0: Interesting. Well, Peter, this is, um, well, back is back to that original question. You know, if someone is willing to deal with all that volatility and wants to hold it for a long time and they do want to get set up, what's the easiest way for them to do that?
1: So they need to get an account with an exchange, something like Kraken, who are my sponsors on my show. So just to be fully transparent or cash app or Coinbase, go and register an account. This is always the best way as well. When people say, how do I learn about Bitcoin? I always say, look, first thing is just go and buy 50 bucks of it. Get a wallet on your phone, go to an exchange, buy it, learn how to transfer that $50 from your exchange to your phone. And it's like magic. So when you first see it happen, when it's like absolute magic. Like, that was amazing. That transaction moved from there to your phone without any intermediary, which is kind of mind blowing. Yeah. So I would say, first do that um, and then go down the rabbit hole. Mm. Go down the rabbit hole and learn about everything after that. But it's like magic watching that happen for the first time.
0: Interesting. Well, Peter, it was uh, great to have you on. Wish you much. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, I wish you much success with uh, your podcast endeavors and everything else you're up to. And have a good rest of your day. Peace out, my man. All right. Take care.